Hi everyone, before we begin this podcast, I would like to introduce you to the Zilhive Grants Program. We have set aside a pool of $5 million to help you build your project on Zilliqa and contribute to our ecosystem. We have four different tracks that you can apply for, which are the infrastructure, innovation, technical research, and market research. These tracks cater to everyone from developers to industry professionals. Till date, we have funded over 80 projects from more than 22 different countries and some have continued to scale to become core partners in our ecosystem. If you wish to apply for a grant but you do not have a project idea in mind yet, we have a mission board on the website where you can choose from a list of ready-to-go project ideas to work on. You can receive up to $15,000 in grant funding depending on the project and track you apply for. On top of that, you will also be able to get technical advice from the Zilliqa team as you work on the project. More details about the grant program can found in the link below. Let's start the podcast now. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Zilliqa podcast. Today I have Muneeb with me. Muneeb is the co-founder of Blockstack. Blockstack is an open source effort to design a network with the security of Bitcoin and the expressivity required for developing decentralized applications. Today we are going to talk to him more about his journey, um, building Blockstack and what exciting things they have in store in the near future. So hi Muneeb, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, Thanks for having me. So can you start off by talking about your blog backstory? Um, I, I used to watch uh, blog stack videos when I was getting into crypto, you know, uh, early in 16, 17, I guess, when you used to organize these conferences in which Naval, Balaji, all these people used to come. Um, so yeah, I, I have, have been following your story uh, for, for some time as well, but still I uh, would love to hear more. Uh, I guess you have a research background and then you uh, became an entrepreneur. So how did that come about? Yeah, so I think uh, I'm, a, I'm a computer scientist at heart. Uh, I've been doing research in distributed systems for around 15 years now. Uh, most recently, I was at Princeton where I was finishing my PhD, where uh, where the project really started, right? So the project got its roots in the computer science department at Princeton. Most of the early team members, the scientists, they, they are from there, along with some of the professors as well, uh, were co-authors on, on the technical papers. And the origination of the project is more around trying to design a, a more secure next generation internet architecture. But that just, the journey led us to uh, blockchains and Bitcoin and over time. So I, I guess I, I, I started uh, looking into blockchains like around 2013. Bitcoin was like $90 then when, when I, the first Bitcoin that I bought. It feels like a long time ago now. And I think in many ways, uh, the heart of the issues that we were working on, this they are even more relevant right now. Uh, whereas uh, I think I think the fundamental thing is that Bitcoin uh, is is meant to be a store of value, like it's it's meant to be a protocol that is very stable, very secure, doesn't change a lot. But at the same time, people want to build apps and smart contracts as well. Right. And, and, and famously, Vitalik kind of like tried doing that on Bitcoin and then went off and started Ethereum. And even if you look at Ethereum or ETH 2.0 or all these new projects that are coming, they're effectively still trying to solve the same problem. They're basically saying, how can we build 
apps and smart contracts in a scalable way uh, on, on blockchains. And I think the approach that we're taking is a little bit different. Uh, I think we're more in the Bitcoin camp. We think that the security of Bitcoin or even the capital that is locked up on Bitcoin, they're extremely valuable. And uh, Bitcoin has network effects. So Bitcoin might end up winning as money, right? which, is a, which is a huge thing. And we've been trying to crack that holy grail of can you actually enable smart contracts or apps directly on Bitcoin? So that's, that's, that's kind of like the gist of the work. And then we can go into the details where we first design a, a, a somewhat uh, limited uh, blockchain Stacks 1.0 that works directly on top of Bitcoin. But Stacks 2.0 is our main design, uh, which is, has been in R&D for the last couple of years, uh, where we re are releasing a, a full kind of like smart contract language called Clarity. Uh, and the design that we ended up with is almost like people can visualize uh, two blockchains that natively connect to each other, right? So our Stacks blockchain connects with Bitcoin and enables smart contracts around Bitcoin, enable apps, apps around Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So um, as you mentioned that there's a lot of uh, capital that is locked in Bitcoin. I think that's, that's, that's uh, yeah, around 60% of the market cap is with Bitcoin or something. So um, and, and we have now DeFi applications that are coming in Ethereum and the main uh, value proposition, like many other chains are struggling to get um, basically the value of Ethereum because all this capital is logged in Ethereum and um, it's difficult to have DeFi applications when there isn't capital. So um, I guess you don't suffer from this problem at least. Um, so in terms of DeFi, um, what, what interesting things are happening? Are you um, planning to you know, have some of the hodlers, Bitcoin hodlers, try, try out some um, DeFi applications on Stacks? Yeah, so I think uh, if, you, if you go back a couple of years, I think a lot of people have been excited about, um, basically there are two tracks in this next internet. One is the uh, crypto economy, which people call DeFi or, or open finance, there are different names for it. And the other is uh, these decentralized applications. And again, people have different names like Web3 or, or so on, but there are effectively two tracks. One is targeting the existing financial institutions, and the other is targeting the existing uh, big tech, like your companies like Facebook and, and Google. And I think uh, over the last couple of years, it was unclear which one of these is going to happen first. But over the last six months or a year, it's, there are more signs now that the financial applications are happening faster because the infrastructure is uh, is there or, or the um, the business models or some of these potential returns that people can directly act, get access to are there doesn't mean that the second track is not going to happen it's just that you know uh, one seems to be happening earlier th than the other so i do think that over the next year or so we'll see more of these financial products uh, kind of like being, being built by developers and and i think you're absolutely right that uh, the $200 billion of passive capital that is sitting on Bitcoin is a, is a really big resource, right? People are actually trying to tokenize Bitcoin and move it to Ethereum. And even those numbers are, are becoming significant. I think RAP BTC has crossed a billion dollars uh, in, in market cap. And that's, now imagine that when you're doing that, uh, you are effectively issuing an ERC-20 asset and that is being used in solidity contracts uh, and I think some people are uneasy with that, right? Because they, they uh, would question the kind of like the security properties of a, of a JavaScript-like language 
or even some of the uh, cultural norms that are there uh, in terms of, you know, like it, it, it borders on like reckless experimentation. And I think Bitcoiners, like they don't want to lose their Bitcoin. So I feel like uh, the key thing to enabling, at the same time, they do want to get returns on their holdings. They don't want to sell Bitcoin, but they would be up for lending it or they would be up for, uh, you know, uh, parking that money somewhere if they can get returns while taking less risk. So the approach that we have taken is that uh, these new types of financial assets that are being defined, they are actually anchoring back into Bitcoin, right? So the source of truth remains Bitcoin. Even if it's a new asset, let's say I, I create you know, some sort of a financial product, it's a new crypto asset, uh, the, the ownership of that asset is eventually defined in Bitcoin, which I think is, is important because it's not that, you know, in the case of Ethereum Classic, that there is some deep reorg and now you don't know what is the state of the blockchain. The Bitcoin, Bitcoin's, Bitcoin remains the source of truth. Secondly, our smart contract language, we, we did around two plus years of work uh, into this. The smart contract language is uh, designed in a way that there are mathematical proofs for correctness. So even before running a program, you can actually know for certain what the program can and cannot do, which I think is very important. And which is something that is completely kind of like uh, missing from the mainstream DeFi uh, products that we're seeing, seeing on Ethereum. I know that most of the newer projects, they're actually more in this camp. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Zilliqa as well uh, has, been, has been thinking along similar lines. Yeah, yeah, Zilliqa's Scylla uh, language was, I think, quite, yeah, along, we have the same thought process. It's very difficult to write buggy code. It's actually function programming. Uh, there's no loops and stuff um so yeah I, I guess yeah we we do agree on on those aspects and even i think projects like near are using rust or um and and the newer projects are definitely using more type safe um programming languages um in terms of uh how, how would actually DeFi work on block stack if if people want to you know if we if we can get, uh dig a bit deeper um on this can you can you go go in that direction yeah, so I think um, there, there are two aspects. One is uh, the language itself. So Clarity is our main language. It is a, 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 a functional language. And it, it might be restrictive in certain ways, like, you know, like if you don't have loops and, and stuff like that. But um, I think it's still very expressive, like in the sense that most programs that you want to write, you should be able, you should be able to write them just that, uh, you know, you get better security properties. So it's, it's effect, effectively, it's harder for developers to hurt themselves. And that's the, that's the mental model over there. Uh, there are already programs, like I can give an example. Uh, there's, a, uh, there's a smart contract called uh, Swapper. It's a automated market maker. Uh, but the interesting thing there is that, that you can have proofs of correctness that the exchange will only uh, kind of like allow uh, trades that that meet a certain criteria or even you can have proofs of liquidity that you know trades would only happen if these conditions on liquidity are met but they're more more like mathematical proofs that so there's no way that any other other condition can happen so that's a property of the language and the way the the, the, the blockchain is designed to work with the language but then the the more interesting part I think is the native connection to Bitcoin and one way to think about that is that there's a native bridge uh, between the stack chain and, and the Bitcoin chain. Uh, 
if you go a little bit deeper, what's happening is that the Stacks miners actually see both the Bitcoin chain and the Stacks chain. And our consensus algorithm runs between the two chains. It actually looks at state between the two chains to arrive on consensus, uh, which means that these clarity contracts actually have visibility into Bitcoin. If there's a state chain on, on Bitcoin, these contracts know about it, right? So that allows the developers to start writing. Uh, I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say you want to write a program uh, that says that if this particular Bitcoin address receives more than $5, you know, some logic will trigger on the stack chain, right? So that is native. And I think that's very powerful because now developers can start writing logic around, uh, around actions that are happening on the Bitcoin chain. Interesting, interesting. Um, so for Stacks, uh, you have, um, I think what I read was you have Stacks 2.0 that is coming. I did read the white paper um, and try to understand the architecture, but um, can you, yeah, still explain like what's up with that. And in terms of um, like security of the Stacks chain, when you compare it to Bitcoin, um, how does that uh, compare to Bitcoin's uh, like chain security? Like, is it is it easy to say if uh, someone to do a like a yeah a miners to do double spend or something like how how difficult is it to for miners to do double spend on uh, Stacks? Yeah, so I think the, the main uh, new consensus algorithm that we uh, came up with, I think the draft came out in February of this year. So it's called the Proof of Transfer, POX. Uh, so POX consensus is the main, main algorithm. And what that really does is uh, the, the core idea is that instead of like having people to buy ASICs and do proof of work, uh, we want to use Bitcoin as proof of computation, right? So Bitcoin has already been produced through doing proof of work. Can you just use the Bitcoin that is produced as, as proof of computation and, and effectively uh, let miners express their cost of mining in Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin miners are expressing their cost in electricity or the hardware that they've bought, and that's their cost. And they would mine if it's profitable for them to mine. And, and on, on our uh, uh, proof of transfer, they're expressing the cost in Bitcoin, they're bidding in Bitcoin, and there is a verifiable random function with, that can select you as a miner. So you would mine only if it's profitable for you to mine, uh, and because the value of the block, because the block has transaction fees, it has clarity contract fees, it has the newly minted STX, and the value of the block is actually more than the, what you're spending in Bitcoin, right? But that, that actually, has a very interesting model because what it says is that these new blockchains can actually share in the security of Bitcoin instead of starting their own proof of work separate networks. And I, I was able to uh, connect all of this back to Satoshi Nakamoto uh, who had a similar vision, right? So there are quotes of uh, uh, Satoshi in, on different forums where he's talking about having these use cases. He was actually very excited about these use cases like you know decentralized DNS or other types of networks but he wanted these separate blockchains to actually share in the compute power of Bitcoin, right? So that I think this, this actually goes pretty deep um, in the crypto industry because one of the reasons I think there is so much of a tribal culture is that uh, let's take Bitcoin versus Ethereum, right? At some level, if Ethereum is gaining traction, Bitcoiners would feel that they're losing out on some value. And if that was not the case, if 
if Ethereum was becoming stronger, Bitcoin was also becoming stronger because they had some sort of a shared uh, resource or shared value set. I actually think that um, that would that would change the behavior of people as well. So I think this is effectively what we are doing. We're not only just bringing smart contracts to Bitcoin, we're actually trying to solve a fundamental issue where you cannot have all sorts of applications on Bitcoin. The Bitcoin chain cannot take it, neither from a scalability point of view nor from a uh, smart contract logic point of view. But we do want to share with the Bitcoin community that if the Stacks chain actually grows, that's good for Bitcoin, right? Because, because there's more demand for Bitcoin for mining, right? Uh, and then interestingly, our Stacks holders, uh, when they participate in consensus, they're actually earning Bitcoin, right? So it's actually, it is helping with the adoption of Bitcoin as well, because every Stacks holder is, if they're participating in consensus is also a Bitcoiner because they're earning Bitcoin uh, rewards there, right? So we are, we are trying to align incentives from a, um, from a community perspective and economic perspective as well, and not just from a, uh, from a technical perspective. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, you you had uh, you guys have a in seventeen eighteen. I remember had a very interesting program in which you were rewarding uh, top developers, right? Top DApps. Um, I think it was App.co. I don't I don't remember the name right now. But um, uh, yeah, what? So, how has your journey uh, like getting people to build applications on Blockstack? Um, how has that been? Um, because you know what what we have also seen it's it's difficult to bootstrap developer community you need to you know developer tooling it's it's a network effect uh, as well that you need if uh, like more developers there are they'll build tools so that other developers also it, you know it, their life also gets easier so yeah what what sort of interesting steps have you taken to get people to develop on blockstack yep so i think we we ran so the uh, program uh, is called app mining uh, and app.co is the correct website and still lists kind of like the top applications there. I think most of the 400 applications we got in the last year and a half, uh, I think a large part of that goes to the app mining program. Uh, we saw we, we saw a lot of interest from developers. They were, they were participating in it. And over time, we started noticing that as the program was growing, because the key thing we were trying to do is we, we given it's a decentralized system and given we were trying to operate at a much bigger scale, we wanted to automate it as much as possible, right? The, instead of like a, you know, imagine like Y Combinator, where there are seven, eight partners, they review every application and they, they kind of like accept or reject uh, things. We wanted to automate that. We, we, we were effectively saying that if there are a bunch of like different types of reviewers, for example, there were reviewers who were giving scores on UX of apps, or you're trying to uh, pick any other metric and you're trying to like automate the scoring of that. And I think it was working better at small scale. And then as the program started becoming bigger and more money is actually flowing through it, obviously it would get attacked, right? So people uh, are trying to game the system. They're trying to hit the metrics without actually uh, hitting the true purpose of it, right? Like instead of building like high quality applications, uh, I can give you an example that a single team would figure out that if I submit five different apps, my rewards might be higher than focusing on a single app. But that's, that's a, a behavior that you don't actually want. You want people to kind of like focus on like true apps that, that gain you know, widespread adoption. So 
we, we gain a lot of insight there. Uh, but and, and actually, I'll, I'll point you to a blog post where we summarize all of the lessons. I think they were fascinating from a, from a uh, from an experiment point of view. And then we're using some of that data in the design of the App Mining 2.0 program. Uh, but App Mining 2.0 now there is an independent SACS foundation uh, that has the budget for this uh, this program. And I think what they're roughly thinking right now is that they might actually make it a little bit more manual. We will go back to being more automated to more manual. And, and start small and try to actually seed the developers who are very enthusiastic and who would just work on this anyway, and not people who are primarily incentivized by the rewards and they're building it only because you know they're 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 getting some rewards. Okay, gotcha. So in terms of applications on uh, Blockstack, can you talk about you talked about uh, Swapper? I think for DeFi. And I think there's also Flexer that I saw. Um, and there are a couple of others uh, on the website that I saw. But any like interesting applications you'd like to shout out to that people can try out and see what's happening in the Blockstack ecosystem? Yeah, I'm uh, ha- happy to share some of them. I think one of the apps is called uh, Pravika. So it's P-R-A-V-I-C-A dot I-O. And Pravika is a, it's a really great team out of uh, Egypt. And they have built out a... Uh, full decentralized, uh, you know, video conferencing. So imagine like a Zoom alternative plus a decentralized chat application. And and they, they're very ambitious. They actually have a full email type communication uh, platform around it as well. So almost imagine like in Gmail, you can send an email, you can chat with people or you can do a video call. But you can do all of this in a fully decentralized manner uh, built on top of a block stack. So that's, that's definitely an app people should go uh, check out. There are also uh, interesting applications like there's Block Survey. Uh, so again, uh, privacy focus, security focus, uh, survey type applications. And what I like about these teams is they're actually going for enterprise uh, use cases. They're trying to get like real revenue out of the customers because I feel like that's at at the heart of like these applications where uh, instead of like um, trying to make money from people's data which is fundamentally what happens with most of the current uh, uh, cloud-based applications, they're focusing on security and privacy and then going after real business uh, use cases. And there, there are other applications like uh, uh, like Sigil, which is a, a blogging platform. People can go and, and try that out. And, but, but I would say that if there's one thing the audience can remember, it would be just to go to app.co. It's very easy to remember. And you can have a list of like all, all, all of these applications there. Cool. So uh, you have your, um, in, in the block stack, like there, there's four things in your stack, right? You have Bitcoin, then your stacks, then you have the, uh, the storage and the authentication layer, and then you have the uh, final applications, I guess. So uh, can you talk about the storage and um, I think Gaia and a couple of others? So these applications that you mentioned, I suppose they will be using those, uh, like the full stack, uh, for authentication and storage and stuff? Yeah. So I think our software stack, um, uh, if we, we just walk through it, so obviously there's Bitcoin, and we view Bitcoin as a uh, source of truth, as a settlement layer, but also as the reserve currency. Right. So we, we're not trying to be money. We're not trying to be, uh, like, you know, sometimes uh, there are, arguments between Ethereum and Bitcoin, where people saying ETH is money, 
we are explicitly not trying to be money, right? Bitcoin is the money in, in, in the stack. And then uh, you have the Stacks blockchain, especially the Stacks 2.0 blockchain that has the smart contracts. And STX gets consumed as fuel for effectively the smart contracts. Yes, there are transaction fees and all these other use cases as well, but effectively you're paying for compute. So it's a little bit like instead of AWS where you're paying Amazon, uh, you're, you're, you're purchasing the SAS cryptocurrency and you're paying it for the computations that Clarity contracts were making, right? And then we, we've, the way we scale is that at first, you know, thousands of transactions on the Stacks chain only result in a single hash on Bitcoin. So we effectively settle on, on Bitcoin uh, in terms of on-chain transactions. But then uh, we realize that most of this data cannot be on-chain anyway, right? So we, uh, our storage is off-chain, only the pointers for storage will be, uh, I, can, I can just pause for a minute. So uh, I think the, the, the Stacks blockchain layer is, uh, people should think of that as the smart contracts layer really on, on Bitcoin. And we deal with scalability uh, where thousands of transactions on Stacks would result in a single uh, hash on Bitcoin. And Stacks is the STX, the cryptocurrency is the fuel for these smart contracts. So instead of you know, developers uh, kind of like paying Amazon uh, they're they're buying this cryptocurrency and they're paying for the the computations that these clarity contracts are doing. But we fully realize that uh, you cannot do everything on chain, and storage is off chain, right? So only pointers for storage are on on the Stacks blockchain. And the way we think about storage is Gaia that you mentioned is a, a wide area file system. So it's like an encrypted wide area file system. You can mount any underlying storage. And I think this is something that we will be focusing more on. Right now, we we uh, we basically have drivers for Google Drive or Dropbox or or these types of storage providers. But they can these underlying storage providers could also be things like Filecoin or Skynet and and these other networks because Gaia is effectively just a wide area encrypted uh, file system. Right. So users are supposed to kind of like pay for the storage, right? And uh, the apps are writing data with the users. So in some ways at a high level, the storage model is a little bit like, you know, uh, the desktops world where the apps were running locally and they were writing data on, on, on users' hard drives and then users were responsible for backing up that data. What we have done is that those logical hard drives are actually cloud-based, but users are supposed to pay for, for the storage, right? So you can back up your data on multiple logical uh, cloud-based drives, but they're fully encrypted and they're fully under the control of the user. That's that's the that's the vision. Okay, um, you also have a naming service as well, right? Um, so, can you talk about that as well? Yeah. So, I think uh, the the way to think about this is um, whichever protocol or platform ends up winning, there are certain key features that they will end up developing. Right? Like for example, naming service is, is kind of like, you have to, you need a way to easily discover apps and people on the network. And for the internet, we got the DNS uh, type of a system. 
even even if you look at current blockchains like Ethereum end up implementing ENS, you know, there's Handshake and there, there are all, all, all these other protocols. So I think I, I almost think of this as these protocols would start having feature parity or at least the, the, the top ones with some key fundamental differences. And I think there is actually space for multiple protocols in this ecosystem that like we are still in the, in the early innings. Uh, and, and for us, uh, we felt the need for a, a naming system as well. And uh, we, we call it BNS. And over there, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, our approach is a little bit different in the sense that we let developers start kind of like new namespaces. Namespaces are like uh, your TLDs, right? So if, we, if, if someone wants to start a .com or a .net or .org, uh, developers can start it, but they get to program the, um, the capabilities of that TLD. That what should be the price of the name? How frequently would they expire? Uh, is, this a, is this a TLD where anyone can register or is it limited to certain parties? So the developers get to kind of like pick uh, what they want to do. And it's all about uh, kind of like giving developers the power to do these things. So on the Stacks 2.0 chain, um, the, the naming system would effectively be another uh, Clarity smart contract. So it's a smart contract that's running and, and developers can, can interact with it. Okay, gotcha. So you did talk about, uh, you see these uh, protocols coexisting. So in terms of uh, current, how, how do you look at the different L1s right now? Um, so in like in terms of how um, they'll survive and maybe, um, yeah, in, in the future, how, how would people use these L1s? Do you feel that there will be say 10, 20 L1s that will survive maybe um, they have some different special use cases or some people find, or it would be that, okay, some people find that these L1s are more valuable for them. And um, yeah, how do you look at that? Yeah, so I think crypto industry is, changes very rapidly. So these models evolve and, but I can, I can, I can give you like what my, uh, what my latest thinking is. I think may, maybe there's room for like five to 10 successful chains out there for, for multiple reasons, right? One is pure scalability uh, in the sense that uh, we are noticing this on Ethereum right now, where Ethereum gas fees are skyrocketing and some of, some apps are actually transferring out to other chains, right? Uh, either they're transferring out to existing blockchains, like an example would be, I think uh, the Kin token was on Ethereum and moved to Algorand or something like that, or things are moving to the Binance chain. Uh, similar or there are apps that got really famous and they ended up building their own blockchain. Like the CryptoKitties team ended up building Flow. Uh, and, and one other interesting uh, uh, kind of like trend to watch out for is this concept of bridges. So a lot of these projects are actually building these bridges now. So Stacks has a native bridge with Bitcoin, which is, which is very interesting. And it's kind of like hard to build a bridge to, to Bitcoin. But if people are building bridges to Stacks, they also have a native bridge to Bitcoin, right? And, 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 and it's, it's entirely possible that uh, some sort of a cluster emerges where there are certain blockchains uh, that either specialize in certain use cases, right? Or they specialize in certain developer tools uh, and have communities of developers around them. So I think one way to model this is, um, you know, database industries would, appear to be a very saturated market. 
yet every couple of years a new type of database comes in and then captures a large market share because it's it's just like such a large opportunity that there is space for these new types of databases to come in and actually uh, have have developer traction so if you look at these chains you would notice that their smart contracts tend to be like in in different dialects or de their tooling for developers would look different and engineers have their own preferences right so it's entirely possible that people who like rust programming go to a certain chain people who are uh, who are more in the bitcoin camp or who are more in the functional programming camp end up building things in one way but i think eventually i do think at some point we will see some consolidation as well and i think that's actually a big part of our thesis where even if today it appears that more apps are being built on Ethereum, if I was taking the bet that what would end up being uh, future money, like Bitcoin has a thousand X better chance than Ethereum being bad, right? So if you want to build anything with, with money, I would rather bring smart contracts to Bitcoin rather than hoping that Ethereum would, would start getting the status of, of money in the future, right? So, and people can make their bets uh, in different ways and that's kind of like the beauty of, of this ecosystem where so much experimentation is happening yeah yeah i think that's an interesting framework um to think about yeah to think about l1s um in to to wrap this off um i i'd just like to ask you how people can get involved how uh like developers specifically do you have interesting grant programs um yeah how can people get involved in the block stack ecosystem yeah, so I think uh, first thing I would like to call out is um, Stacks 2.0 is our master design. It's actually the main thing that we've been working on. Uh, in some ways, like because we released Stacks 1.0, which was like more limited, uh, people don't fully realize that 2.0 is the main thing, right? Uh, like that's the real blockchain that's coming online and that we've been doing all of the R&D work on, the clarity language, the consensus algorithm, mining actually starts for the first time. Uh, with the release of uh, 2.0 and so that's that's a that's that's effectively the biggest launch uh, from the project in our history so i would definitely uh, watch out for that it's in roughly two months or so and then uh we obviously have have a bunch of grants uh on for our testnet so our testnet is live uh, mining we have this concept of uh, stacking where people can lock up their stx to earn bitcoin rewards so that, that is live uh, on the testnet. And then uh, the biggest thing is Clarity Smart Contracts, right? So we have, we have taken a lot of uh, care in designing this new programming language. We ended up uh, collaborating with Algorand as well uh, on, on, on the language. And if people are interested in um, kind of like a language that is predictable, uh, where they can have proofs of correctness or where they can actually program uh, logic around Bitcoin, I think they should like really try out the Clarity language, which is uh, um, which is available on Testnet and, and going on mainnet in, in roughly two months or so. Cool, cool. And and in terms of uh, web properties, uh, I am at Muneeb on Twitter, so it's M-U-N-E-E-B, and Blockstack is at uh, Blockstack on Twitter and Blockstack.org. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Muneeb, for taking the time out. I, I guess. Um, yeah, the community would love to know more about Blockstack, and uh, yeah, we we'd love to see if yeah if we can somehow collaborate as well in the future. Yeah. Yep, that'd be great. I'll I'll, I'll uh, love to follow up, and thanks thanks so much for having me.